0: Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Game
1: over. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's another Montreal Canadiens loss, this time against the Ottawa Senators. 6 3 is the final score, but it probably doesn't really reflect the way the game was played. I think the Senators pounced on their chances a little bit better than the Canadians in this one. It was Jake Allen's first, kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say off game, but not his best game uh, since returning from injury. He's been so excellent for the Canadians that they've almost relied on him to be excellent. The defensive miscues are still a big problem for this team as they work towards a positive uh, push into next year. But to, to join me to talk about this, is author and journalist, Obgishig Rice. How's it going, buddy?
0: Good, Andrew. Thanks for having me again. How are you doing?
1: No, it's my pleasure, and I'm doing great. Well, I mean, I could be doing better. We actually have one of our kids' home from daycare right now with hand, foot, and mouth. So oh, no. we're, we're kind of stuck dealing with him being super grumpy all day. But overall, not so bad.
0: That's good. Yeah, if it's not COVID, it's something else, right? Exactly. There's always something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we were, he started feeling bad a couple days ago, and then we, like, saw some dots on his face, and we were like, oh, not this again. Because the last one, when he was younger, he got it twice. Oh, no. In, like, early daycare. So, first time for Miles, but uh, he's getting through it. Hopefully a couple more days he'll be back up in 100%. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the comment here saying apparently uh, Jake Allen might have gotten hurt in that game. I, I'm guessing it might have been uh, when he got the shot up high late in the game, yeah. maybe off his collarbone, but
0: he, and it was probably in an unpadded area or something. like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe a stinger, a nice bruise. I know Jake Evans left the game as well. Uh, Justin Barron late in the game. Uh, I forget who it was in the senators kind of fell down and slid into his ankle and all the body weight went on the ankle. That I think is the most worrying one for the Canadians because they want him to get reps, right? Like, I think they know who Jake Evans is, what he's going to be next year, what role he has. Justin Barron, I think they want to figure out, like, is this kid going to stick in the NHL next year or is he going to be in the American Hockey League? Great moment for him tonight, scoring the first goal of his NHL career. Huge ovation in the Bell Center. That was like kind of the highlight of the game to me because that was the first time in a while where we got a full arena in Montreal doing like a big ovation. Got like the, the goosebumps going, you know?
0: That was quite the snipe too, eh? Like uh, some poise on the young guy's behalf there just to wire that home. And yeah, he deserved the ovation. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of like the underrated wrist shot from a blue liner, right? Where you, you kind of like strafe one way and shoot far side. Yeah. John Klingberg is amazing at that in Dallas. He's just He walks the line and waits until the bodies line up perfectly and then lets it go and it just flies over. Sometimes you don't even have to shoot it that hard. Although I thought no. Baron Baron got a good one off there too.
0: Yeah, it was nice. I saw Tyson Barry score a goal like that the other night too. It was in the highlights and yeah, from that far out to have confidence in a wrist is pretty, pretty deadly for sure.
1: Yeah. It's an under, I mean, it has been in the past an underutilized thing. I feel like defensemen now it's less about the big slapper and it's more about finding holes, finding seams and, and setting up their forwards for shots more than taking all the shots. But uh, it was good to see Barron get that one because I feel like he's had, I mean, he's he's only 20 years old. It's easy to forget that when the Canadians are throwing him out there to to the Wolves and they've had a pretty rough schedule of late too, but he's looked like he's been up and down like every young defenseman would be in this situation, but it's nice to see him get something good happen to him. I, I hope he's not uh, out for the rest of the year with a high ankle sprain or something because that's definitely a possibility.
0: Are they hoping for him to be, you know, regular on, on the blue line there eventually? Like, they're developing everyone all that?
1: Yeah, I think he was, like, the main piece in the return for the Arturi Lekanen trade. So, in order for that trade to to look good, uh, it was him at a second round pick. So, they're still, like, the second round pick's decent. But he was the main piece. So, they expect him to be, like, a top four guy eventually. I don't know what their timeline is for him. I assume it's not, you know, like, hyper-focused on being there right away. But you can tell, like, they're playing him with the... Uh, a lot of confidence from the coaching staff, so they seem to have a very high view of him, and for for good reason. He's shown some poise.
0: For sure, absolutely.
1: Uh, someone says, uh, "Come on, sends win. Stutzla still haunts your dreams." Let's let's talk about Stutzla a little bit because he's a a great shooter, great yeah. passer, but I got to tell you, Stutzla is annoying, and not because he's a good player. He is I, the knee on knee thing. I don't think he dove at all. I think that he would just was like he was hurt. Right. And sometimes when you get a stinger, you got, yeah. you got to let it go for a little bit, you know, rub your leg, feel better. He's out for the next shift. Fine. But late in the game, when you're up six, three, and you're trying to like chop a guy from behind, usually I'm not one who likes the like late game theatrics from the losing team. Like I find that's kind of like uh, you're being a punk. And Gallagher has done that this year where he's been so frustrated and he's just done stupid things at the end of games. But this one, I was kind of with him on that when you're winning six, three in a game that ultimately doesn't have much stakes, don't go and cross check a guy in the neck from behind, (laughs) get out of here with that. And then he immediately turtles when Gallagher goes back on him and it's like, it's Brendan Gallagher. Yeah, It's not like you're fighting Zidane Chara here. And then the ref goes in and holds Gallagher down. And then Stutzelik comes up and he wants to be the tough guy. And now he's got his gloves off and he's ready to fight. I was like, this guy, he's earning a reputation around the league. There's a reason why guys don't like him.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, in, in some ways it adds a bit of insult to the injury of his goal earlier on in the game, right? It's like, God damn it, you know? Like, uh, just that annoying sort of cleaning up the garbage in front of the net, that rebound kind of goal, like is annoying enough But then to have his antics towards the end. Yeah, definitely. uh, I see where you're coming from for sure.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like that's the thing about the Ottawa senators. And and I mentioned it when we, before we started the show is that they are a team that kind of thrives on chaos. And I feel like this game played into the way that they play very well. Lots of turnovers, lots of broken plays, and it seems like they're a team and I'm, I'm not trying to trash them, they're a team that's not good, but they're good at that specific thing of thriving on chaos. It's like a, a puck off of a broken stick, and then it's like a four-on-one break out of nowhere. And it's not like a four-on-one break that was like caused by you know, back-checking pressure and a, a big mistake or miscue or big turnover. It's just like a random thing happens, and it's like four senators were out of position but they happen to be skating the right way. So they have a four on one break and it seems to happen like all the time for that team and like good on them. They find those plays all the time and seem to score on them constantly. But I, I watch them and I'm like, when they say the rebuilds over, I don't think they're serious. <laughs> like, it's, no, no, no. They're just not a great team.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much of that comes from uh Kachuk being captain too, because he like, Seems kind of like a chaotic dude, you know, like obviously Definitely. not normally normal at all, but like his his play is just like grinding in there and doesn't really seem like that refined yet at all, you know, for someone who's supposed to be, you know, in that sort of leadership role. Um, so maybe they're embracing that at the moment until they find their team identity. Who knows, right? Yeah, so, I was kind of,
1: I was laughing a little bit at the broadcaster. I think it was Brian Mudrick tonight with Mike Johnson. And he was saying you know, uh, there's very few guys in the league who lead their team, I think it was like in points and penalty minutes, and Kachuk is one of those. I'm not mm. sure if he actually does or not, but uh, I was like, that's... And he was like, he's the perfect captain for this team. And I was like, I don't know, I, I prefer my captain to not be in the box all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like Kachuk, his brother I know is very good at drawing calls too. I don't know how good Brady is. I think he's pretty decent at it as well. So maybe his penalty differential is pretty good. But for a guy who isn't a big contributor defensively also putting your team on the PK a lot. I know yeah. their PK is like about league average, but I don't know that just is not the best to me, but you're right. Thriving on that chaos is a very Brady Kachuk thing to do. I Matty Kachuk does the same thing, but I feel like he's just so much more insulated in Calgary and yeah. so much better at uh, producing points that you don't really worry about Matt Kachuk
0: no no yeah it's interesting yeah and uh, each of them serves very specific roles on, on either team too right like uh, calgary's got that sort of powerhouse going at the moment and they're putting it on Kachuk's shoulders to get maybe some of that going in in ottawa who knows right but it feels like ottawa's a couple years off obviously from somewhere like calgary you know so
1: <laughs> yeah i mean calgary's so good i mean it's weird that calgary not too long ago it seemed like they were about to pass their window right? Yeah. And then they hired Daryl Sutter and immediately, absolutely incredible. So maybe it's just a matter of having the right coach come in at the right time and things will look a lot better for Ottawa. But I I, definitely, I look at these two teams and I'm like, the Canadians are very clearly at the very beginning of a rebuild. They've really, they've gutted things out at the trade deadline and the senators are claiming that they're at the end of their rebuild and ready to start building towards competing. And I don't know if the senators are ahead. You know, I I feel like they've got some really nice pieces, but like I was saying the last time these two teams met, I don't know if they have anyone on their team that I would take over Cole Caulfield.
0: No, no. I I was thinking that exactly tonight, you know, it's the first Sens and Habs game I've watched this season and, uh, you know, there are some similarities there for sure. Like younger teams um, and the young dudes especially playing for something, right? But someone like check already has his contract, you know? So I wonder on, on that side whether, you know, they have much more to, to gain through that kind of play. Whereas, like, Suzuki and Caulfield are out there, like, leaving it all out there, man. Like, absolutely, you know, leading the way for the next generation of the Habs themselves, you know? So it's, it's interesting to see two teams at that point and uh, how, like, the wind shakes down in the end, right? Like, Ottawa obviously won tonight, but, like... Next year, this time, I agree with you. I think the Habs will be well ahead of the Sens for sure. Yeah,
1: it's it's weird because I feel like they need to be bad at least another year because they need one of those top guys in the next in next year's draft. But if the Canadians can luck out and get a Shane Wright this year, like that, I I don't know if Shane Wright makes the NHL next year and he's actually as good as the scouts that I've had on this show. I've talked about and that he could essentially jump into the NHL and be like a 60 point solid play driving center.
0: Yeah.
1: It's hard to imagine a team being bad with that. Plus Suzuki Caulfield, maybe price yeah. and Allen both back. Like mm-hmm. it becomes a point where how are you going to lose enough points to be in the bottom five? You know, yeah. <laughs> you gotta, there's good. I mean, they're in a tough division, so there's probably lose a fair amount of those games too. But man, you almost want them to delay things a little bit just to get a chance at Connor Bedard or uh, Mitch Goff or some of those other guys at Slavkovsky in the next year's draft. It's a weird situation to be in, but I feel like the Canadians have a situation where they can afford to be a little bit patient as well. I talked about this uh, before the deadline. is a lot of the contracts that they want to move have term left, Mm. and that seems like a bit of a pinch at the time, But it also means that guys like Yoel Armia, they can give extra time and be like, find your game, and then we'll trade you when you look good as opposed (laughs) to the first half of this year when he was just (laughs) abjectly terrible almost every single night.
0: (laughs) Well, it it just stands to reason, like, given, you know, the cyclical nature of of any sort of professional sports team, like, Boston's going to drop off maybe Tampa will too. And then the Leafs very likely could in the next few years. So, you know, it could open up for Montreal. And if they get, you know, those good picks in addition to having Caulfield and Suzuki lead the way, then yeah, I, I would very much uh, be excited for the future.
1: Yeah. There's some comments here uh, saying, uh, I called Brady Kachuk a turtle. No, I didn't call Brady Kachuk a turtle. I said Stutzla turtled. And mm. then when the ref came in and held down Gallagher, then he wanted to fight. I don't, I don't, question Brady Kachuk's toughness at all I think he's a really rough and tumble guy I I think he's a a great player who backs up what he says on the ice Uh, let's let's uh, make sure that we're clear here on what I actually said Ottawa fans I'm not trying to trash Brady Kachuk I (laughs) am I was trashing Tim Stutzla get it right I'm trashing a different one of your players (laughs) oh okay I had some other notes here for for the game Um, Gallagher who, you know, at the end of the game, obviously lost cool a little bit, which I think was for good reason, scores his first five on five goal this year, really? <laughs> Rob, his first five on five goal this year. Now he's missed a lot of time, but he's also been unbelievably unlucky. Like I've never seen this happen to Brennan Gallagher no. and for like context of how good Brennan Gallagher has been at five on five. Over the last three previous seasons, the top five on five goalers, goal scorers, sorry, goalers, talking like a 1980s person talking about goalies. uh, The the top goal scorers at five on five per 60 minutes are Austin Matthews, number one, little bit of a gap, Brennan Gallagher. No way. And and he had zero (laughs) for this whole year. Just total goose egg. He just has not been able to get Anything going his way.
0: I didn't realize that. Huh? Well was good to see him open it up. That was neat. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, he scored a prototypical Gallagher goal. Hmm. Yeah. Somebody hmm. saying Josh Norris has 30 goals in 52 games. Yeah. He's good, man. He's also shooting 22% though. And has 13 assists as a center. Right. Hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I think I'd want my center to have more than 13 assists.
0: Uh, yeah. Sticking the about- four again
1: yeah good player though yeah, yeah I'd, I'd take him on my team i don't know if i'd want him as my first line center mm. 30 goals is always nice though uh yeah so gallagher good to see him get off the schneid for sure uh i i do wonder just because like most of his goals are like that and he's had so many hand injuries over the past few years you know like maybe the the days of him being able to snipe a shot are gone, but I feel like that was never his game anyway. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of talk about Gallagher being in decline this year and how like the Canadians are going to have to get rid of this boat anchor contract because he was just signed a uh, long-term to about like, I think it's like 6.5 or $6.75 million a year. But I, I don't know. I just am not ready to believe that his his goal scoring is completely gone based on one year filled with injuries. Uh, he talked uh before this game uh, as he was coming back from injury, he's saying the last two summers have been really short. So he hasn't been able to get his body in shape essentially to to take the abuse that he has to take yeah. in the in the role that he plays. But at the same time, the role that he plays will break down your body over time, right? Like he's not going to have the longest career because of that. So it's like, it's this weird situation where do you believe this is a one season outlier and he'll be back to what he was before? Or do you think maybe this is the indication that he's never going to be what he was before? It's a strange thing. And I, I can't decide where I'm at with it, but I, I just don't think that this year's play is indicative of what we'll see from Brennan Gallagher in the future.
0: Well, even from an opposing team's perspective, too, like as a Leafs fan, when they play the Habs, you know, he obviously has that goal scoring prowess, but he's a really good antagonist, too. He gets under the skin of the opposition. And I don't know if that's something you would pin a big contract like that on, but at least it's something um, worthwhile, you know, for the time being until he gets that goal. until it becomes a bowler again. Right. So, uh, um, you know, and, and like, I think given the past couple of years, you can give some leeway to some dudes who, you know, not really gotten the gas tank back after, you know, all these COVID disruptions and not having an actual full 82 game, like traveling season like this. And, and yeah, it's probably going to take a lot to bounce back. So, you know, I, I give dudes like that the benefit of the doubt and, and hopefully, you know, he can come back and start scoring like he used to.
1: Yeah, it would be a a big boost for that team. They they really do need somebody, and I feel like one of the things that I talked about, like heading into the trade deadline, uh, was when this team is rebuilding. Every time you look at rebuilding teams, when the guys strip it straight to the studs, it seems like teams can't pull themselves out of it. Right, you see, like the Buffalo Sabres just stuck spinning their wheels for so many years. The Edmonton Oilers, until they got McDavid and Drysdale, were just stuck spinning their wheels, couldn't get anything accomplished. And part of that comes down to just bad jamming, right, and bad coaching hires, and just bad decision making overall. And maybe you can strip it all the way down if you have really smart people in charge, but I think there has to be someone. Who sets the example for the incoming new generation of like what it means to wear the jersey. And I kind of identified three guys this year who tried to bring it every single game in a totally lost season when Ducharne was still the coach. Mm-hmm. That I was like, these are the guys that you want to stick around. And that was Arturi Lekinen, who they traded, Tyler Defoli, who they traded, and Brendan Gallagher, who's still around. So I think you only have one of them left. I feel like you needed to keep at least one of the three. They're not going to move Gallagher after this year, just because it's the lowest possible value. Right. But even next year, I wonder if there's like really any chance at all of him moving because it just makes so much more sense for him to stick around for the Montreal Canadians, maybe not for Brendan Gallagher and be an example to that next generation of players, of like what you have to do, to be a Montreal Canadian.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you need that veteran leadership regardless, right? Who else is it going to be if not him? With those other two guys gone, you know? So, yeah. Uh,
1: it's like you hear people talk about like Joel Edmondson as a leader, but he's, he's only signed for two years, right? Like, uh, I think he's actually only got one year after this. I think it was a three-year contract. So that's not really somebody that you want to be pinning your hopes on as like the veteran that sticks around. He's probably more likely to be traded than Gallagher.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I, it's a I situation. Carey price, there's carry price too, but that's a big question mark at the same time, right? Um yeah, I mean you would know better than I would wh- where that's at and where it's going, but
1: um Yeah, there's a question here from Jean Thierry uh saying, Do you keep Galley's contract at fifteen goals per year just to keep him in the room? I think there's that's a multi-layered question because if Gallagher's scoring fifteen goals a year, you assume he's involved in twice as many goals as that, maybe more by just like putting up a screen in front of the net, uh, underrated playmaking ability and tight to the net and just like play driving ability. So he's also still, you know, an, an elite level play driver, which you can, you can check on any statistics website covering the NHL, evolving hockey, natural stat trick. You do like a multi multi-year analysis. Brendan Gallagher is almost always among the top players in the league at the puck moving the right way on the ice, right? Great defensively, great offensively, even if he's not directly, influent, like directly partaking in a goal being scored, Brendan Gallagher's play puts the puck in the situation where a goal is going to happen. So it really depends if he's not losing that part of his game. If he becomes just a 15 goal scorer who's a net front presence. And is no longer great defensively is no longer pushing the puck up the ice in an in a effective way is no longer creating turnovers in the four check. Then yeah, you don't want that on your team, but if he's doing all that other stuff and he can only manage 15 goals, it becomes an expensive contract, but I think a digestible contract, if you understand what I mean.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Huh?
1: Yeah. It's like, I, I feel like we are still stuck a lot in the nhl on point production and point production matters don't get me wrong but there's a lot of guys who contribute a fair amount without actually putting up that many points and i think a lot of people started to see that this year in montreal with arturi lekinin right he's just not a big point producer but you saw every game this year he was a guy who was driving things the right way he was creating chances for his teammates just by like using his body in certain situations, setting picks, making the proper play at the proper time. Those guys, the facilitators, they matter a lot. It's like he's, he is putting up points, but you look at in Toronto, for an example, Michael Bunting, right? Been an absolute brush of breath of fresh air on that top line. He fits there better than Hyman ever did just because the things that he does to create the puck going to the right person or going into the right space on the ice make, make things easier for Matthews and Marner to just absolutely dominate. And then man, he chips in well on his own. But uh, even if he weren't having a great season as a rookie, like in terms of offense, if he were on pace for like 15 goals, instead of gotta be on pace for what, like 25 or 30 now, Mm, like, I think people would still be very appreciative of his play.
0: Yeah, and and it gets back to what we're talking about earlier and and just frustrating the opposition, getting under their skin. And Bunting does that. Gallagher's great at that. And of course, that never shows up on the score sheet, but like that could lead to the breakdown of the D or a giveaway or whatever else that eventually leads to a goal by, you know, your line or whoever else. Right. So 100%. I see Gallagher doing that very effectively.
1: Yeah. And drawing penalties also is like a big part of, uh, like boosting scoring right you you see that accounted for more in the more modern a- analytics they value drawing penalties a lot especially if you're not taking them now Gallagher takes a fair amount of penalties yeah. but uh, he draws a lot too although oftentimes he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt but for whatever reason this year I don't know if refs feel sorry for him because he hasn't been scoring but he's actually been drawing a ton of calls this year which is like a new thing for Brendan Gallagher he usually draws like about average which is way lower than you would expect for somebody who plays like he does. Uh, what did you think of the Caulfield goal? Asked Colton Butler. Man, I thought that was like you see the confidence. Yeah. Instead of taking the one timer, he holds and shifts around the guy who would have shot blocked it. He makes the goaltender move at the last second after already moving the other side, so the goaltender is off centered. He's uh, not balanced, and then he picks a corner like, or I guess he didn't pick a corner. He shot it through the goalie, but. I'm so impressed with what Cole Caulfield's done with himself. I know that uh, Marty St. Louis has passed all the credit on to Cole Caulfield, which I love a coach doing that, not taking credit. It's kind of unfamiliar after uh, covering this team in the Michel Terrian years where he wanted to take credit for everybody's success. But just another example of how great Cole Caulfield has developed over the course of this year, which it's absurd, Wob, looking back at the first 30 games that he played, that he only had one goal. It's so hard to believe it after watching him for the past 25.
0: Yeah. Well, and then that's what I wanted to see tonight. Like I, I specifically wanted to see him score a goal and, uh, from, you know, my limited sample size of the games I've watched, uh, him play uh he's very dynamic you know even that sort of mid-range shot he scored with tonight uh found a way through like it it handcuffed the goalie and it just sort of squeaked in you know um but that's you know immense skill it takes to set up that kind of shot you know and actually deliver it and uh man he's just so exciting to watch like holy,
1: yeah he's the kind of player that frankly we haven't seen in montreal for a very long time Oh, well, the Leafs actually took that game to overtime. Sorry, I was just... uh, I wanted to check to see if... uh, (laughs) But uh, the Panthers ended up winning 7-6. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunate result for the Leafs. But you know what? I'm going to give the Leafs a break because I know that I was was texting Steve Dangle and when they were up 5-1, I was like, man, everything's going right for the Leafs. They look absolutely (laughs) dominant. They just ran the gamut of the best teams in the East. They beat every single one of them handily. And now this is the second half of a back-to-back against the top scoring team in the league. Yes, they blew a five one, but you know what? They got a point out of it. The fact that they blew a five one lead, it was six, five. And then they tied it and got a point out of it. I see a positive in that. They didn't break. Yeah. They lost in three on three, but I, I love three on three hockey. I, it's super fun, but it's yeah. it's not hockey though. It's no, not no, hockey.
0: no, it's just like a bit of a bonus, uh, a little bit of fun, you know, much like the shootout, shootout's a little more watered down than that. I think, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting for the regular season. I definitely would not want to see it in the playoffs though.
1: So. No, no, no. You know what I do want to see though? And this is a totally random tangent. The next Olympics, I want to see a three-on-three hockey tournament. It doesn't have to be NHLers. It could be like, guys, there's a three-on-three league. I don't know if it still exists after COVID, but I know that uh, I was talking to Theo Peckham a few years ago. There was a three-on-three league that traveled around uh, North America and basically operated in the same way that nhl threes did on like the ea sports games no so way. i i feel like that would be super cool to see in the olympics and have some guys that i mean you could bring nhl guys if you want you could bring guys from different leagues guys that specialize in three-on-three and maybe you make countries like canada and the u.s or sweden make tough decisions right like do you want to play this guy on the five-on-five squad or save your the U- usa do you want to save johnny gaudreau for three-on-three Mm-hmm. where he's like arguably the best 3 on 3 player in the league since that mm-hmm. came up. I mean, you're not going to put Connor McDavid in 3 on 3, right? Cuz you Canada's going to value the 5 on 5 gold more. Yeah. But gold is still gold. It's still hockey. Man. It's going to be super <laughs> fun. It's like rugby sevens. Rugby
0: sevens are yeah, so fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That's cool. I, I would I'd would love to see that. three in a three separate event. Wow. Mm.
1: You do men and women get yeah. like double exposure for both. I mean, every other sport is getting a little bit of like a, a different boost lately. You see yeah. things like uh, ski cross and snowboard cross, yeah, which are awesome. You yeah. know, all those cool different sports that they're kind of creating for these big events like the Olympics. I'd love to see hockey get a little bit of a moment to shine outside of the main tournament.
0: Yeah, and that that might open it up uh, for other countries to develop, um, you know, more rosters and more skills, you know, because, you know, the the usual suspects that we see in the regular five on five tournament. But maybe that might give an opportunity to for another country to to shine. Right. So, well, mm. yeah.
1: Imagine, especially in women's hockey. Imagine if Canada and the U.S. because three on three is a lot more random. Right. Canada and the U.S. don't make it to the final. Maybe yeah. if it's if it's a team like Japan or something that wins three on three hockey gold and women's hockey, the amount of focus that would go into that, and yeah. you know, bring some money and some sponsorships, I I think it'd be fantastic. But that's <laughs> that's a totally random tangent. That uh, thanks for listening, everybody, but uh, not really to do with this game. <laughs> Other things that I had written down. Uh, I really liked Alex Romanov in this game, and I yeah. I've been really hard on him. The one thing I didn't like is how much he was trying to shoot because he loves to shoot into shin pads, but I thought he made a lot of really good plays, especially in the defensive zone with the puck. He was kind of holding the puck below his own goal line and then juking whatever Senator came to forecheck and skating the puck out. And I like to see that confidence from him because he kind of became a bit robotic earlier in the year where he was trying to do the safe play all the time. And I think he's a better player when he tries to skate with the puck a little bit more. The offensive zone decision-making still leaves a lot to be desired for me. I think he needs to look for the passing play a little bit more. But I really liked him tonight.
0: Was he on the ice for one of those late-sense goals?
1: Yes, he was on the penalty kill. Yes, uh, the one that have at the beginning of the of the period for sure. He was on for, I don't know about if he was on for the, the Colin white goal or not.
0: Yeah. But otherwise I agree, you know, uh, yeah, look, look pretty solid defensively for sure.
1: Yeah. He's, he's getting better. I feel like that's the thing about this whole season for the Montreal Canadians. Uh, and like this stage of the season specifically is the bar is not exactly high. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the expectations are not high. It's, partially set by how terrible they were in the first half of the season under Ducharme, but also the fact that they sold so heavily around the deadline that at a certain point you're low on NHLers and you know, you're not going to be able to compete night in night out with high level teams. So what you want to see more than anything is playing hard, being competitive and not being embarrassed. And, Even though the score was 6-3 tonight, I don't think they were embarrassed. Like, If you look at the breakdown in terms of uh, scoring chances, it was 22-21 at even strength in in favor of the Senators. High-danger chances were 12-9 Canadians. Expected goals were the exact same for both teams. The big Mm. issue for the Canadians this year and many of the previous years is that their special teams are god-awful. When, when you break it down to special teams, uh, the senators blew them out of the water tonight, and that showed both on the scoreboard and in the underlying numbers. so that's the the continuing issue, I think more than anything uh, that St. Louis hasn't been able to fix, but mm. I think that gets focused on maybe more next year because there's just more pressing issues.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, back and forth game right through to the start of the third until that first power play goal by Batherson happened. Uh, I I thought they were pretty evenly matched, you know, and without that that sort of blunder for the first Sens goal in the first period, I thought, you know, Montreal would have been more in control uh, throughout most of the game. But, you know, yeah, I I think it was tighter than the scoreboard, the final score sort of reflects, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Somebody asked, what did I think of Jordan Harris tonight? I thought that he had a good like couple moments where he like was calm under pressure, specifically, uh, I think it was in the second period. It might've been in the third. He held the blue line under pressure on like a bad play by someone else. It might've been Armia. And he kind of like popped the puck over a checking Senator forward and kept the puck in the offensive zone. But other than that, I didn't notice him a lot, which I think for a player as young as him in a game as chaotic as this might be a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh that's about all I had for for Jordan Harris tonight. He didn't stand out as much as uh, I thought. Uh, Corey Schooneman had a really good night again. Uh, Justin Barron with the goal, but overall, I, I feel like all the Canadians' young defensemen played pretty decently. And you know, positive news on the Gallagher front. He, he did actually lead the team in uh, like expected goal differential when, when Gallagher yeah. was on the ice tonight. His, the expected goals were 95% in favor of the Canadians. So Brennan Gallagher doing Brennan Gallagher thing. The scoring chances were 10 to one while Gallagher was on the ice. Five uh, five. So he's, geez. that's the kind of game you expect from Gallagher when he's healthy. So I don't know. I think, I think Gallagher is sticking around for the duration of his contract. Honestly, I think he's a, a hab for life. All right. Uh, anything else that you noticed from the game, Wub?
0: Uh, no, I think you covered everything I uh, I enjoyed about it. You know, it's just, again, really fun to be able to watch, you know, the supposed main rivals of, of my team sort of <laughs> duke it up. But but you know during this development, uh, I mentioned earlier how you know it seems like there's more at stake for the younger guys to to sort of prove something, uh, and it, it it reminds me of like when the Leafs were in that rebuild a few years ago too. You know that first year with Babcock and and just laying it all out there and and really you know trying to capture like the hearts and minds of the fans too. You know like they they want us on on their side right by sort of grinding in there and. You know making those chances and so on so like it's nice to be able to see like a you know just that 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 desire and that motivation by the young players like on, on both sides of the uh, of, of this game you know so uh, i really enjoyed it overall it was cool Yeah, it's, it's nice to see
1: like a game that's a little bit more crazy and and the young players get to take over <laughs> both these teams get to do that there's a question here saying any stats for the teams losing after a, or losing at home after a road trip I don't have that those numbers off the top of my head, but I, I feel like I recall people saying in the past that it is a very common thing, but in terms of mental mistakes, uh, Canadians have been making those for a long time now. <laughs> they're, they're very sloppy with the puck in their own zone. It, it's an issue for sure. Uh, I heard Hughes and Gorton sent out lunch invites to a bunch of Habs <laughs> alums. Yes, he did today. Uh, Sergio Mameso mentioned that on the TSN 690 broadcast, it seems like the Canadians are kind of circling everything on the to-do list, right? They're trying to make sure that they have better relationships with the Canadians alumni than the Bergevin regime did. Heard a lot from different Habs alumni that uh, they would come in and try to talk and get iced out, essentially. Uh, the previous the regime, yeah, yeah. Previous regime oh. didn't like anybody who might have had more clout than they did.
0: No way. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, since so those, it's such a historic yeah. franchise, like, all the tradition there, like, you, get, you gotta tap into that, man, like, especially for the younger guys. Wow.
1: It's it was, shocking. It's funny, you know, as much as I think Montreal kind of gets clowned on a little bit from NHL fans in general for how much they lean on their history, and, like, sometimes it gets a little bit excessive when you have, like, the, the 100th year ceremony where they had... uh not, not the actual one. That was amazing. But uh, the year leading up to it, they had like 16 or 20 different like opening ice ceremonies. And people were like, okay, <laughs> another one. Let's indulge this a little bit more. But in like the actual ceremony where they had all the legends take the ice it was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen at a hockey game. Wish yeah, I could have been there that. in person. But uh, the tickets were very expensive for that night. <laughs> and I was, I believe, yeah, still a college student at that time. Which is... Crazy to think about that it was that long ago. But I had the privilege of doing an interview with Vincent Domfus years and years ago. And he talked to me about when he came into the league in Toronto that it was very like passe to speak about Toronto's history. They didn't have any of the alumni stuff like up on the walls. The alumni weren't really coming to games. They had like a bad relationship with several of their best players. Like the whole Dave Keon thing was a a big thing. And he was saying like, it just felt very dead there. And when he got traded to Edmonton of all places, which, you know, didn't have the history that Toronto had, but had this very recent run of amazing stuff from the eighties and early nineties, they had stuff like uh, every player who had won a Stanley cup, I believe had a tile in the shower with their name on it, like where, when they won the Stanley Cup, how many Stanley Cups they had. And you were always surrounded by this history of success. And he was talking about how like that kind of bled into like the swagger that you had as a player. And mm-hmm. the same thing when he, uh, I believe he got traded to Montreal as well, and he, you felt that history every time you went in the locker room, every time you took a shower, every time you went on the ice, there was something there. It wasn't weighing you down. It was something to live up to. And I feel mm-hmm. like for some players, it does weigh you down. And I know that in the time since then, Toronto has done a much, much better job of uh, embracing their history. I feel like that kind of stuff, if you don't lean on it, it's just such a great shame.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially with teams like Toronto and Montreal, like their fans are intergenerational and really uh amongst Canadian fans that's sort of the longest sort of lineage if you think about it right and and that gets passed on naturally from parent to kid uh, as as a fan right and if the franchise itself doesn't boost that then like it's it's up to parents or families on their own you know the onus is on them to try to instill that sense of pride which is really weird like that a franchise wouldn't wouldn't play that up and it doesn't surprise me to hear Vincent we say that about the Leafs, because like, those were weird times, man. The late 80s and early 90s, you know? So uh, it's a surprise that so many people actually became fans. You know, thankfully, they made that run in, you know, the 92, 93, 94. But, uh, yeah, it's just, just bizarre. Bizarre to think of.
1: It is. I think, I think the situation is much nicer now, uh, despite <laughs> yeah. the loss tonight. I, and I... It's weird because they're in the worst situation possible, uh, just talking about the Leafs for one second here, and then <laughs> we won't talk about them anymore So I've been getting crap in the comments about talking about the Leafs too much when we have Leafs people on. And I understand it, it's a Montreal show, but we talked mostly about Montreal tonight. But I, as much as tonight is probably a huge disappointment for, Can- for Leafs fans, Sorry, I feel like this team, they're in a crap situation in the division. I think it might be ideal because the expectations, mm-hmm. as much as Cuba said like this is a winner nothing season the fact that they're probably going to go up against the Lightning or the Bruins and a lot of people are going to expect them to lose and it's going to help them
0: yeah I agree uh I was telling you before we went live I was texting with my dad today and and he has big expectations of course but like uh at this point you know they're, they're 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 playing for all of it you know they got a huge monkey to get off their back but it seems like you know, they're a little more confident and, you know, the, you know, of course giving up a five, one lead tonight, uh, you know, which is sort of leaves custom ha- is happening uh, less frequently, you know? So I-, I take a little comfort in that. Um, we'll see what happens in the first round, but uh, yeah, it's just, I-, I feel a little bit better going into it. Could all fall apart, of course, but uh, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. It could happen to anyone, frankly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. Uh Thanks so much for joining me tonight, Wab. Uh, before we check out on this one, tell everybody where they can find your work.
0: Sure, man. Thanks for having me again, Andrew. This is so okay. fun. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Wab at W-A-U-B. Uh, my personal website's W-A-U-B.ca, Wab.ca. I'm also on Facebook at Wab Gijic Rice. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, on the on the jury for the Gala Prize this year. So if you're into books, uh look me up on social media and we can chat about that. And, uh, otherwise hope everybody has a great spring, you know, good summer ahead and, uh, happy playoffs, everybody.
1: Uh, <laughs> absolutely. All right. And if you are interested in reading Webb's book, it's actually linked in the description on the YouTube channel and in the podcast description, if you're listening as a podcast. So thank you to everyone for joining us here tonight on the, uh, Another Montreal Canadiens loss. But frankly, they need to lose a couple of these games to stay in the Shane Wright uh, lottery here. So I don't know if they're in last right now or 31st or whatever, but it's good that they lose once in a while under St. Louis. All right. Thanks for joining me, Wob. We'll see yeah, you all.